commit yourself to the doing of the word of God. It is when you do the word that the word will change you. You see, acting on the word of God is one major area that will strengthen you in faith. God may bless you with good people as friends, but you have a duty to strengthen those friendships. With the wrong association, little problems become big issues. With the right association, big issues are reduced and commonized and disgraced. The major power base for your Christian life is your personal prayer time. So service your personal prayer time. Service it more. When God speaks, all the experiences you want from God are encapsulated in what he said. If you lose that word, you lost the experience. God is faithful to do what he said he will do. If you are focused, I tell you, many great things will happen in your life quickly. And I tell you, till the day we all see Jesus Christ, there will be many things fighting for your focus and attention. The word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Be blessed today as God's servant, Reverend Peter Ayo Alabi, brings you God's word. Father, we thank you this morning in the name of Jesus. We open our hearts to receive your word upon good ground in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said it loud, amen. I'm going to just give us charge as we approach the end of the year. Uh, I did that in the first service. I will do something, uh, continue from what I did in first service. So please, I know some of you are not in the first service. Get the message and listen to it. But it's still along the same lines. I'll just probably go further in the second service. And you know, because um, one of the things I will charge you, taking it from the testimonies and uh, that we just shared, is the importance of shining as light. All right, in the world, we are light. Do you see in Matthew chapter five, verse fourteen, the Lord Jesus said, "Ye are the light of the world. A city set upon the hill that cannot be hidden." In verse 15, he said, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on the candlestick that it might give light to all that are in the house. That's what we are. We are light. And in verse 16, he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So you understand that we must shine as light. Ephesians 5, 8, You were once darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. He said, Walk as children of light. So we are light. And that's exactly how he is also. He is also light. Jesus is the light of the world. In John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You know, the Lord Jesus in John 4, verse 5, he was speaking to his disciples again and said, for as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So, as he was light and he shined, we also must shine. We've got to do excellently, do valiantly. Did you see that in this world? And as the year is ending, it's one of the things we need to uh, pay attention to as believers. Did you see that? You've got to shine in your respective field of endeavor. If you are a banker, do well in banking. Now, of course, you know we've always established here that that profession is not your ministry. Did you see? But it's, it is the work of your hands. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, you should do it well. Do it with all your heart. That is what God blesses. You see, God blesses faithfulness. God blesses faithfulness. God blesses faithfulness. Proverbs 28, 20. The faithful man shall abound with blessings. God blesses faithfulness. Be faithful where you are. Faithful in your work. Psalm 1 verse 3. He said it shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of the water. He says his leaves shall not fade, shall not wither. 
and it will bring forth his fruit in his season. And whatsoever he doeth, it shall. Not it might. It shall prosper. So God expects you to prosper in the works of your hands. You've got to do well. Do well as a lawyer. Do well as a business person. Do well in your endeavors. You see that. You know, when you don't do well in your endeavor, you give your Christianity a bad color, a bad name. And your excellence at work will help you to be able to make a platform for ministry from that profession. I say it again, your excellence at work will make it easy for you to make a platform of that your profession for the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Because if you are the excellent one at work, people will want to listen to what you have to say. Excellence usually gives you a potential difference. Excellence will usually give you potential difference, meaning it will set you high so that people can look up to you. Hebrews 7, 7 tells us, without controversy, the less is blessed of the greater. When you live an excellent life, do excellent work, conduct yourself excellently, deliver excellent results all the time, consistently, it will set you high. That's what is called potential difference. So that people can now look up to you. And that gives you a voice. Then you now use that voice to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, those of you who were in the first service, that's where we closed it. And one of the things you must do as we approach a new year is to engross yourself in soul winning in preaching the gospel of Jesus. That is the work we have been given. That is our work of ministry. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it tells us it gives some to be apostles, some uh, prophets, some evangelists, pastors and teachers. He says in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ or edifying of the body of Christ. So the work of the ministry there is for all saints to preach and we must do the work. We must do the work. Jesus Christ in John 4, 32 said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. In verse 34, it tells them what that meat is. My meat is to do the will of he that sent me and to finish his work. And you know, time is running out. So we must do that work. In John 9, 4, Jesus speaking again said, he said, I must walk the work of he that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can walk. You see, that night time is going to come for everybody. And you've got to ensure that before the night time comes, you are really walking. The early stages of our lives is the daytime, And we must use it well. Use the energy of youth to preach. Use the energy of youth to serve God. Use the energy of youth to do the work of the ministry. Go ye into all the world is a command, not a suggestion. He commanded all of us to preach the gospel. We must be like Paul and say boldly in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. So you must not be ashamed to preach, neither should you be afraid to preach. It is those who are the heirs of salvation that are sent to preach. When we go to preach, angels assist us, but angels will not preach. You remember the story in Acts chapter 9, sorry, Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, the Bible describes him from verse 1 as a man who was devout, as a man who prayed and gave alms. And the Bible says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him at noonday and said to him that your alms given and prayers are sent unto the Lord for a memorial. But notice the angel couldn't preach the gospel to him. The best the angel could do was to connect him to Peter who will now preach the gospel to Cornelius. And you've got to understand, that is exactly a picture of who God has given this assignment to. It is the saints, not angels. Angels, though they excel in strength, 
They hearken to the voice of God's word according to Psalm 103 verse 20. Yet they cannot preach the gospel because it is not their assignment to preach the gospel of Christ. It is the assignment of the saints. Those who are saved. We are not only saved. We are also called. 2 Timothy 1 9. Who had saved us and called us with an holy calling. So he didn't just save us. He also called us. He called us to work for him. He called us to serve him. And the greatest service to the Lord is to arouse his gospel. That we are kerusos. We are heralds of the message of salvation. Did you see to the world? And we preach it to the end that men be saved. According to 1 Timothy 2.4, he says God's will is that all men be saved. And they will come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all men to be saved. And he wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. After a man receives Christ, he must continue to feed on the knowledge of Christ. It is by feeding on that knowledge that that man grows spiritually. So there is such a thing as spiritual growth, just as there is physical growth. And that's one area of challenge you need to put yourself on as we approach a new year. You must challenge yourself to grow more. To grow more. As you look at yourself in 2022, how much have you grown? then desire to grow more. And growth comes by feeding on the knowledge of Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 2, he said, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. So it means as we feed on the word of God, we grow. We are nurtured. We are nourished. Did you see that? Edified, built up on the word of God that we are feeding on. That's why the instruction to the apostles or the elders of the church is to feed the flock of God. First Peter 5 verse 1 and 2 and then in Acts 20 verse 28 that you feed the flock of God which he purchased with his own blood. And what they feed us with is the word. Jeremiah three 15, I will give you pastors or shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Not feed you with junk. Did you see what I'm saying? Not feed you with human philosophy. But they will feed you with knowledge and feed you with understanding. And I told you, the Lord said to me, I've anointed you to teach my word and bring my people into understanding and experience of my word. And that's why I teach you God's word. But you must eat it. Hallelujah. You must take it in. One of the ways you eat God's word, it starts by you hearing it. As you are hearing it, you're already taking it in. You're already taking it in. But then you must not stop at hearing it. You must now do it. The blessing of the word is in the doing. The blessing of the word is in the doing, not just in the hearing. The ye doers of the word, James 1, 22, not hearers only deceiving your own selves. So it means you've got to do. If a man hears the word and doesn't do it, he's like a man who beholds himself in a natural glass and walks away straightway forgetting the manner of man he was. Did you see that? Verse 25 says, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. One transition says, whoso looks into God's law for free men. So the word of God is for free people. And we are free people. I said we are free people. Because the spirit of the Lord is in us. And he says wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty. Second Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17. God himself is that spirit. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is liberty. And so his word is for free men. If you are free, you must read God's word. You must hear God's word. And most importantly, do the word of God. Practice what you are hearing. You see, when you do the word of God, you are taking the food that was given to you, you are eating it and using it to exercise yourself. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying now? When you practice the word of God, you are eating the word and using it to exercise yourself. It is when you do the word that the word changes you. It is when you do the word that the word will change you. It is when you do the word that the word will change you. And that's one of the areas I want to challenge you as we approach a new year is to commit yourself to the doing of God's word. Commit yourself to the doing of the word of God. What does the word say about coming to church? Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the coming together assembly of one another as a manner of some is. So much the more as you see the day approaching. So you've got to ensure, therefore, that you are gathering together. That is, you are showing up in service. Because that is what the word says. When you come to church, you are doing God's word. You are doing God's word. You see, acting on the word of God is one major area that will strengthen you in faith. When you act on the word of God, it strengthens you in faith. When you act on the lies of the devil, it strengthens the hold of fear over your life. So you got to act on the word. And I tell you, if you are not acting on the word of God, fear will set in. If you are not acting on the word of God, fear will set in. One of the ways to shut the door of your life against fear is to do God's word. Do what the word says. Do what the word says about evangelism. Go ye. Be like the apostles. Mark 16, 20. And they went. They didn't sit down. He said go. And they went. The right response to go ye is to go. Not to sit down and hoping somebody else will do it. But to obey the instruction. And do what the word of God says. Somebody say I'm a doer. I'm a doer. I'm a doer. Say it again. Say I'm a doer of the word of God. Say I practice God's word. All the time. And some people say, but why don't we have to pray? Shouldn't we pray that God give us the grace to be doers? There's no such grace. The ability to do the word of God is embedded in your DNA as a child of God. You have the capacity to do the word. Did you see that? Like I said in the first service, that's why the epistles are not written to the unsaved. They are written to the saved. They are written to the saved. So all those instructions there that tells us to do something, it is given to us because we have capacity to do them. God will never tell us to do what we don't have capacity to do. So when he says to flee fornication, it's because you can. When he says to stop lying, let him that stole steal no more. Ephesians 4.28, but rather let him walk with his hands that which is good, that he may have to give. So it means if he was stealing before, he can stop stealing. He has the capacity to stop stealing. Notice that instruction is not for the unsaved. You can't tell the sinner to stop stealing. He cannot. He will steal till he dies, if he doesn't receive Christ. Are you getting what I'm saying now? But when you say a Christian who is stealing... You can tell him, let him that stole, steal no more. Because you are trying to let him realize the capacity to stop stealing is inside you. Use it. Is somebody hear what I'm saying now? Tell him, I say you have capacity to be a doer of the word. Say, use that capacity. You are not talking like your voice is just saying, neighbor, let me talk to you. I'm not afraid of you. I, I put it to you, my friend. You have capacity to do the word of God. Uh -huh. When the word says to forgive, you can so I say, I don't feel like it. He didn't talk about your feelings. He said, forgive. Be kind one to another. Ephesians 4.32, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Notice he's talking to one another. Those in the church, the believer. You can't tell that to an unsaved man and tell the person who is not born again and say, forgive your wife. He will look at you and say, what do you mean? Do you know what she has done? Because that's all he cares about. But when a man is in Christ and you tell him to forgive and he's complaining, you tell him, you know, if he says, do you know what she has done? You tell him, do you know what Christ has done? There is nothing nobody can, anybody can do to you that will surpass what Christ has done for you. He died for you. He delivered you from all iniquity. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us. 
that he might deliver us from all iniquity and purify himself to himself a peculiar people, zealous unto good works. So there is a zeal to do the word. I have the zeal to do the word. That zeal is increasing. That zeal is getting stronger. Oh, that zeal is consuming me. Like they said of Jesus in John 2, the zeal of the house of the Lord has eaten him up. The zeal to do the word has eaten me up. It is eating me up. It's consuming me. <laughs> Somebody say, I love the word of God. Especially the doing parts. Say it again. Say, I love the word of God. Especially the doing parts. Say it again. Say, I love the word of God. Especially the doing parts. <laughs> Make that a confession. Yeah, I love the word of God. Especially the doing part. Especially the doing part. When he says to give, I can give. Luke 6, 38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed and shake it together, running over. He said, men shall give unto your bosom. For with what measure you meet, it shall also be meted back unto you. So I can give. When he says to pray, I can pray. Luke 18, 1. Jesus said, the Bible says, a parable took you also again unto them, saying, men ought always to pray and not to faint. So if you say men ought always to pray, you are a man. And he's not talking about gender. You are a human being. But not just a human being. A new creation. Therefore, you can pray. (laughs) Somebody say, I can pray. Oh yes, I can. I can. I can. He says to pray without ceasing. It means it's possible. I explained that to you first as I read as 5.17. What it means is to take every opportunity to pray. Never miss the opportunity to pray. When you wake up in the morning, it's an opportunity to pray. He said, in all things, give thanks, pray without ceasing, despise not prophesying. Those instructions are very, very simple, straightforward, but powerful. You can do all of it. You can always give thanks in all things. You can always pray without ceasing. And it is possible for you to not despise prophesying. Say, I can do all. Because the word says so. Can you shout amen, somebody? You know, in Ephesians 4, 12, it gives us an example of a believer like us. Epaphras. Epaphras. Who is one of you, he said. I like the way Paul said, he's one of you. Epaphras is one of you. Tell your neighbor, say, Epaphras is one of us. <laughs> I like that instruction. Epaphras, one of you. He said, he labors fervently in prayer. That you will stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. The man is praying. And he's one of you. He's similar to the way he said, James says in James 5, 17. He said, Elijah was a man subject to life, passion, just as we are. And he prayed. So he say, there is a man who prayed. A human being like you. I tell you, he say, a human being like you prayed though. <laughs> tell him again. Tell someone, look around. There's a new neighbor. Let me tell you something in case you don't know. There was a human being like you, sir, who prayed. And his prayer worked. So I put it to you, sir. You too, you can pray. Uh, your prayer will work. Your prayer will work. Your prayer will work. Say no excuse, no excuse, no excuse. You know, Romans 2, man, he said, that's inexcusable, man. Whoever you are, because he tells us already, there was a man, so there's a life passion as well, who prayed that there'd be no rain for three and a half years, and there was no rain. And he said, he prayed again. So don't come and tell us, I have prayed. Continue praying, sir. Pray some more. Ephesians 4, 2, I'm sorry, Colossians 4, 2, continue in prayer. Pray some more. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always. Praying always. So there's nothing like haven't prayed. Uh-uh. There's nothing like haven't prayed. We keep praying, sir. Haven't prayed, we pray some more. If you read the original rendering in the Greek of 
of uh, James 5.17, when they say Elijah was a man subject to like passion as we are, and he prayed. The original says, in prayer he prayed. One translation says, he prayed with prayer. And I've told you to pray with prayer means you pray up to a point, which comes by your regular consistent prayer life. So that when the occasion, special occasions that warrant prayer, prayer interventions come up, your prayer would be on the basis and the foundation of consistent prayer flow. That's what generates power. The Amplified puts it in Ephesians and James 5.16. He said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another, that you may be healed. He said, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man available more. Amplified says, the sincere heartfelt continuous prayer of a righteous person makes tremendous power available, dynamic in his walking. That's me he's talking about. My prayer always works. All the time. 100% of the time. I do not experience prayer failures. Because I am a son of God. God is pleased to always hear me. And to answer me. All the time. And how does he answer us? Exceeding. Abundantly. Far above. All that which we ask. Or imagine. Ephesians 3.20, according to his power which is at work within us. The power of God is no longer in heaven. The power of God is inside us. We can't be singing, let the power of God come down. No, we have to sing, let the power within me flow. There's an old song like that. Let the power of the Lord come down. Let the power of the Lord come down. <laughs> you not say in Jesus' name, you, you grew up in those churches. Let the power of the Lord from heaven come down. Let the power of the Lord come down. He doesn't come down from heaven anymore. He came down from heaven on the day of Pentecost by the Holy Ghost. In Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were one accord in one place. There came a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. Filled the room where they were. And they appeared upon each of them cloven tongues like as of fire. And sat on them. And verse 4. And they were filled with the Spirit and began to speak with all the tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was when the Holy Ghost came down. The Holy Ghost is the power of God. So we don't sing those kind of songs anymore. There's another one that is using power, power beyond the sky and set me free. Power, power beyond the, beyond the sky and set me free. <laughs> Power from beyond the sky has already come down. And when it came down, it didn't settle in the atmosphere. It came into men. Those who have believed the gospel. And he has come to stay. He is not visiting us. He came to take his habitation. And he has come to stay permanently inside of us. And the last time I checked, the Holy Ghost doesn't sleep outside. He stays at home. He, the Holy Ghost has a home office. He walks from home. Hey, Kaya, Baya, Baya, Baya. Woo! The Holy Ghost walks from home. <laughs> Woo! He walks from home. <laughs> so, all this new development in this generation where people are walking from home, you are, we are just patterning after the Spirit. He walks from home, He runs a home office. <laughs> I am His home. I am his dwelling place. Listen, and he is not on vacation inside me sleeping all day. He is walking inside of me. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly and far above all that which we ask or imagine according to his power, that's the Holy Ghost, who is at work. He is walking inside me. 
is walking inside me. So the Holy Ghost is always walking. And we know where he's walking from. He's walking from within us. He's walking from within us. In Acts chapter 4, being let go, verse 23, they went to their own company. And their prayer was simple. Grant that with boldness we may speak your word. And that signs and wonders may be wrought by the name of your holy child, Jesus Christ. And what they were simply asking was, let the Holy Ghost walk through us. Let him walk from within us. By stretching out your hands to heal. Stretching out your hands to heal. We are his hands stretched out. It traverses the face of the earth with our feet. When I move, that's the move of God. When I speak, that's the voice of God. When I lay my hands on the sick, that's the hand of God stretched out. Stop commonizing yourself. Stop commonizing yourself. As we are led by the Spirit of God, all our moves as led by the Holy Ghost are the move of God on the earth. They are the moves of God. People pray sometimes. We are praying for the move of God. Pray, and God is saying, move! When you move at my bidding, that's my move. The move of God is when men move at the bidding of God. I'll say it again. The move of God is when men move on the earth by the bidding of God. As he leads us and he says, go! And then we go. That's God's, that's God's move on the earth. The move of God is not in smokes and thunderbolts and lightnings. And lightnings. The, the move of God is when men in Christ move at his bidding. When he says, lay your hands and you lay it, that's the move of God. Silver of gold have I known, Acts 3, 6. But such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's what it means to say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He's simply saying, I am doing this as though Jesus was here himself. But I was I do it in Jesus' capacity. So when I lay hands on you, that's Jesus laying hands on you. When I speak to you and prophesy to you, that's Jesus prophesying to you. When he spoke to the winds, the winds obeyed him. So when I speak to you in his capacity, there is nothing in your life that must disobey me. They must do what I say. That's what I'm saying to you today as Jesus in his capacity, as his representative over your life. 2023 will be the best year you have ever experienced. And it is going to pave way for better years. So somebody will say, I want to hear the voice of God. You just heard it. That's the voice of Jesus you just heard now. <laughs> that's the voice of Jesus you just heard. When a man is speaking by divine utterance, that's Jesus talking to you. That's Jesus talking to you. That's Jesus talking to you. Did he not tell them? And he said, in that day, some will come. And he will say to them, when I was sick, you did not visit me. I mean, you, when I was in prison, you did not visit me. When I was hungry, you did not feed me. And they will say, when did you? When did you say, well, as long as you do to any of this, you've done it to me. You've done it to me. So, both on the giving and the receiving end, Jesus is there. As I minister to you now, you are his body. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Acts chapter 9. Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom he persecuted. He has never touched Jesus before. But once he taught the church, he taught Jesus. So even on the receiving end, it is Jesus receiving it. <laughs> so is Jesus releasing the blessing? It is Jesus' body receiving it. There is no devil that can block it. When I minister to edify you, I'm edifying his body. And as I'm ministering, it is him ministering to his body. So there is no room for Satan here. No, he has no part, no memorial. That's the reason we say get yourself to a point in faith where you no longer see any hindrance. 
to you receiving the graciousness, the graciousness and goodness of God. Now, when we prophesy over your life, don't be thinking maybe it will not happen. How? Who will stop it? If the devil becomes twins, he can't. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? This is a Jesus to Jesus communication. That's why he says, Paul writing, he said to the Colossians, he said, he defies his body by himself. That's what Jesus does. He defies his body by himself. The men who minister, they are doing it on his behalf. They want their ministry to, they are his, they are his body. He said, Jesus to Jesus, peer to peer connection. <laughs> Satan is not anywhere in this equation. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I said, every time you come here, know that you are going back better. Even this morning. <laughs> Woo! He says, the fivefold ministry are for the perfection of the saints to fit you together, to make you intact, put you together. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Every service where we gather under the anointing, it is a place and opportunity for you to be put together. Oh, somebody insulted you. You're feeling bad all week long. And you enter into service. Expect to be fixed. Don't be part of those who keep concluding about themselves. You know, we are all broken people. Not me. Not me. I'm whole. I'm whole. And we are not denying experiences that may happen to us. But we deny it from being a permanent experience in our lives. Because there is an anointing. There is, there, is, there is the balm in Gilead. There is the oil of God that heals. He heals in a way no doctor can heal you. He heals in a way no psychologist can heal you. He will not only heal your body, he will heal your mind. He bore our griefs. That has to do with your emotions. He bore himself, Isaiah 53. He bore our griefs. He carried our griefs. The things that grieve our heart. The emotional pains we go through. He bore it. So don't think he can only heal headache and not heal the mind. Inside the head. He heals the mind too. You will not carry on with life. With the pains of your past. No, you won't. You're going to live a supernormal life. You are going to be happy again. You are going to be full of joy again. Ay, ay, ay. I say you're going to be full of joy again. And I've come to say to somebody, you are, you are not going to live a fragmented life. Never. I'm telling you. Never. You say, ah, dad, you don't understand the kind of experience I had growing up. Hey, if you see my story. Hey, the power of God is more than your Ojo Elekba story. You say, I was molested. I was battered. I was, I was abused. I was confused. Oh, God. And I understand. I can relate to you. It's true. We are not doubting your story. But there is a greater story. He was wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And with his stripes we were healed. Focus on that story. He did no sin. And he suffered all that he suffered. In all forms he has been tempted like as we are hebrews 4 is our high priest who is taught by the feelings of our infirmity so don't don't despair that oh something has happened to you life cannot be normal again well you may be right he's not trying to restore you to normal he's restoring you to super normal your joy will know no bounds 
He said, what about the trauma? You will forget it. He said, are you sure of this? Oh yeah. There are examples. They are bound in scripture. Have you ever been, been, been betrayed by your own siblings? Sold? They even attempted to kill him. I'm talking about Joseph. And your name might not be Joseph. Maybe your name is Josephine. But let me tell you this morning. Their stories are similar. And when God transformed the life of Joseph, he named his first child Manasseh. Meaning God has made me forget. God made me forget everything that happened in my father's house. All the pain, the betrayal, the sadness, the sorrow, the depression. He made me forget so you may not be able to forget. That's true. But God can make you forget it. Yeah. I come to say that strong word to somebody this morning. Under the sound of my voice. He said, I'm trying to forget it. I can't forget. Don't worry. Nobody asks you to try to forget it. God will make you forget it. Yeah. <laughs> so I laugh sometimes when they say all these things. You can never forget all these experiences. You know, it's just going to be part of your life forever. You know, I know that. Well, that's a human being talking, and he's talking to the degree that he knows. But Joseph said, God made me forget it. You know, after his brothers met him, and they were scared, and he shocked them by showing them kindness. After their father died, they were still afraid. So they came to him, and they were trying to start telling lies again. I said, our father said before he died, he didn't say that. Because they were now afraid that maybe he was pretending while our father was alive. But now that our father is dead, maybe he will now deal with us. That was when he now told them, well, you know, you, you guys you don't really get it. He said, look, you meant it for evil. God, God weaved it. God weaved it. So all these years, I was not busy plotting my vendetta and revenge. All these years, I was just following God's plan. And as I was following God's plan, he was mending my heart and healing me. So much that I didn't even have time to think of revenge. I have forgotten it. Can't you see Manasseh? That's my son. His name is God made me forget. Then Ephraim followed his fruitfulness. Can't you see? There is no time for pettiness. I was sent ahead of you to save you. To preserve generations. To pave way for the Messiah of the whole human race. The Lord himself to come. So, so you are still here thinking about vendetta. No wonder you are not great. No wonder. No wonder. You can't follow God's plan and follow vendetta at the same time. Your life is not that long to choose both, both at the same time. No, you can't. You've got to choose one. And that's why I counsel you, choose God's plan. In that plan, God will make you forget your pain. He'll make you forget your pain. So you've got to make up your mind to be a doer of the word. Do the word, do the word, do the word, do the word. The word says not to be anxious for anything. Philippians 4, 6. Well, he said everything by prayer with supplication and thanks. Give make your request known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So when you worry, you are not obeying God's word. So when next you're tempted to worry, remember what the word says and do it. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing absolutely. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And you know, I wrote this thing down this morning. Always draw and know the line between effort and anxiety. Always know and draw the line between effort and anxiety. Many times we cross the line without knowing. There's a difference between making effort, which you should. But it's different from being anxious. Sometimes we cross that line without knowing it. We started out making efforts. Working hard. 
doing our best, being diligent, which is a scriptural injunction to work hard. But sometimes we often cross the line. And what started out as effort ends up as anxiety. And you are now anxious. But here this anxiety ends in despair and frustration. Anxiety ends in despair and frustration. And how do I recognize the line between effort and anxiety? I'll tell you. When effort gets to the point of exhaustion, step back and consider. Step back to evaluate. The moment your effort on anything begins to bring you to a point where you are feeling exhausted, you're feeling empty, then it means you need to step aside and consider what you are doing. Because from that point, what will happen next is anxiety. It will no longer be work again. You see, God did not make us to toil in pain. There's a difference between working and toiling. They are not the same. They may look alike, but they are not the same. Peter said to the Lord Jesus, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. We toiled all night and caught nothing. That's not working. When Jesus gave him a word and he obeyed that word, that one is work. We're not toiling all night. That's not work. That's a curse. That's a curse. You're getting emotionally drained. Physically drained. You're not working anymore. You're toiling. And toiling comes with anxiety. Because you're no longer sure whether this thing will work. You're just trying everything, trying everything, trying everything, trying everything. Our lives were not designed to be like that. No. No. So when you walk to the point where you're getting empty, exhausted, you're almost feeling frustrated, step back a little and consider what you're doing. Oftentimes, you miss something somewhere. And at that point, when you step aside, you can tell what was it you missed. In the first service, I quoted that scripture a few times, Ecclesiastes 7.14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider, consider. So when things are looking too hard, consider, consider. What has gone wrong? Sometimes it might be wrong timing. Sometimes it might be wrong approach. Sometimes it might be wrong connection or association. I'll say those three again. Sometimes the reason why it looks like things are getting too difficult beyond what is normal, it might be because of wrong timing. You are doing the right thing at the wrong time. I told the leaders yesterday, one of the meanings of covetousness is for you to desire to become what God did not design you to become. Another meaning of covetousness is to try to become what God wants you to become, but at the wrong time. Imagine a little boy says he wants to be a father at two. There is a father in him, no doubt. But this is not the time for that fatherhood to come out. You see what I'm saying? And so in the same way, sometimes when your work seems to be exhausting and draining, it might be because you are actually acting out of time. Doing the right thing at the wrong time. That wrong time might be that you are late. Sometimes it might be that you are too early. There is nothing like an idea whose time has come. One of the best things you can do in life is to always work with the right timing. There is such a thing as the power of accurate timing. There is such a thing as the power of accurate timing. When the time is right, boy, everything becomes beautiful. Everything becomes beautiful. And there's no big 
issue about how to walk with the right timing in life. I've said it again and again. It's as simple as following the leading of the Holy Ghost. Simple. Follow the leading of the Spirit of God. How will I know if it is not time for something? Have you ever tried to wash your feet with your socks on? Imagine how odd that will feel. You get home today, you can try it. Put on your socks and begin to try to wash your feet in your bathroom. Nobody needs to tell you you are being stupid. You will know you are. Because it's awkward. That's the best way to describe it. When you're trying to do something, the Holy Ghost is not leading you to do. There will be that thing scratching on the inside of you that this is not supposed to be happening now. It is always in every believer. Many people have just trained themselves never to pay attention to it. They train themselves never to look at it. They ignore it. Stop setting up yourself to be rebellious against the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to come to that because that's one of the things I want to challenge you to do in the new year. To follow the leading of the Holy Ghost more. Follow the leading of the Holy Ghost more than ever before. But we'll get there. However, right now I'm talking to you about the fact that the wrong timing might just be one of the reasons why you're feeling exhausted. Another reason might be that you're actually using the wrong approach. When the approach is wrong, no matter how talented or skillful you are, things are not going to work. Yesterday, one of the best footballers of all time crashed out of the World Cup. And one of the challenges he had is I think he had some wrong approach in the World Cup. He's fighting over whether a goal was his goal or not just because his hair touched the ball. Or guy who called score, Yele. The team is bigger than the player. It's bigger than the player. I believe that man should have used the weight of his experience and his clout to push that team. They would have probably won the World Cup. But I think he was getting too individualistic. Wrong approach. Wrong approach. A wrong approach can kill potential. No matter how strong or big the potential is. Can kill the potential. The labor of the fool wearied them all. For they know it not how. Go to Ecclesiastes 10, I believe verse 15. They know it not how to get into the city. You shouldn't be like that. Ecclesiastes 10, 15. The labor of the fool wearied them all. He said they do not know how to get into the city. So it means they want to do something, but they don't have the right approach. So therefore, what happens to them? They get exhausted. That's it on the screen. It wearied them all. So they have come to a point of exhaustion. They are being drained. It's not because the work is too big. It's because the approach is wrong. So when you have a wrong approach, you begin to feel exhausted. And then it leads to anxiety. Number three reason why you may be feeling exhausted with your work is wrong connection or association. Wrong connection or association. Like we just saw in Ecclesiastes 10, 15, is the labor of fools. You can't company with fools and expect to get the results of the wise. That's not possible. You've got to be careful who you company with. Company with people of faith. Have your own company. Acts 4, 3, 23. Being let go, they went to their own company. To their own company. And that's why you notice that they were faced with a challenge, a hindrance. An obstacle was in front of them. But they had the right association. And with the right association, they overcame the hindrance. They overcame and scaled through the obstacle because they had a right association. With the wrong association, little problems become big issues. With the right association, big issues are reduced and commonized and disgraced. Oh, you got to be careful. Who do you talk to when challenges come? Who do you talk to 
When Jesus gave Peter the word to launch into the deep for a great draft of fishes and their net was sinking, I mean their boat was sinking, their net was breaking, they had the right company. They called to their friends and they brought their own boats. And they were able to join forces together to get a great catch of their lives. Right associations. You know, I said this during the first service. God may bless you with good people as friends, but you have a duty to strengthen your friendships. God may bless you with good people as friends, but you have a duty to strengthen those friendships. It is what you make of it. The same way God can bless you with a good wife, bless you with a good husband, but being blessed with a good wife, good husband does not automatically translate to a wonderful marriage. The two of you now have work to do. As I always say over the years, there is no love in marriage. Love is in people. People put it in the marriage. There's no romance in marriage. Romance is in people. People take the romance inside them and put inside marriage. That's the way it happens. People think of marriage as if it's one building that you enter into when you say I do. And when you enter that building, there is a storehouse of love, forgiveness, you know, romance, you know, and all those good things. So once you just get married, just be taken as you want. Like as if it's a filling station. Well, when you marry, you realize it's not there. The love you put into your marriage is the love you will get out of it. The romance you put into your marriage is the romance you get out of it. If you don't speak nice words, romantic things to each other, well, there will be nothing to go around. Even when you look at each other in the morning, you just say, dry, good morning. Good morning. And then your spouse say, good morning too. If that's what you do in your marriage, no wonder your marriage is the way it is. <laughs> and your husband say, my love. <laughs> some people say, the person one day say, ah, what do you want in your husband? I want somebody that will bring me flowers every day. And the pastor said, you are deceiving yourself. There is no man on earth that can give you flowers every day. When it's not Guru Maharaji, what's your problem? <laughs> if you want flowers every day, go and marry Guru. <laughs> Every morning flower, every morning flower. You will not be able to do that. And if you get flowers like twice a year, it's okay. <laughs> I have bought one. I can quickly buy another one this week before the year runs out. <laughs> because I'm a doer of the word. <laughs> what i'm saying yeah so you got to understand that if you don't put it into if you don't put the effort into it the relationship will just be there you want kindness in your friendships show kindness and sow it to your friends be a kind one whatever you want from your spouse model it to them model it to them those of who are married set a goal to have a sweeter marriage in 2023 you can start out the things you didn't used to do before things you didn't know how to do say dad Believe me, sir, growing up, I didn't even see anything romantic in my parents. You can't blame them. You know where they grew up. But you have grown up in Lagos. You've watched movies your parents never watched. You have listened to songs your parents never had the privilege to listen to. They listened to Anila Omonyura and all those people. But you know, you listen to Johnny Drill, listen to all these things, you know, and all this R&B. So now you put it to work what you have been listening to and try to just start. No matter how embarrassing my feel, start out. I know some of you, your wife will be so shocked if you ever try out. And then she'll be like, what, what happened to you? But she was, are you okay? <laughs> Is everything all right? He said, no, I'm just trying to show you some love. 
So I said, Lord, yes, Lord. I'm trying to be romantic. I want to bring you breakfast in bed. And then you brought a gigi bread. Very big one. With <laughs> going. To, to finally prove that you are from Ogomoso. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and when they ask you, I say, ah, ah, why are you doing this? Ah, well, Jesus said we start from Jerusalem, from where we come from. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Boy, you know, you just got to start. You've just got to start. Same thing with your friends, with your spouse, with your siblings. You know, I believe one of the areas we ought to keep working on as believers is we should also strengthen our relationship with our siblings. No matter how distant you might have grown from each other, somebody has to start it. Somebody has to start out. Somebody has to be the one to start. And say, you know what? I'm going to make my relationship with my siblings better this year. You know, one of the things I realize that parents are more concerned with as they grow older is they, they are concerned about the connection between their children. It matters a lot to them. So make your parents happy. Make them happy. Give them that satisfaction. That in their lifetime, they see you and your siblings bond. If you have siblings that you're angry with, you've not been talking to each other for months. Brother, behave like a Christian. Forgive them. Be the one to call. Be the one to say, uh, hello. Uh, hello. That's all I have to say. Hello. So that we don't go to hell. <laughs> oh my God. You know, when I see my kids play, you know the way children play. Children can quarrel now. Within two minutes, they are playing again. And then when they play like that and they quarrel and they are just over and going back and forth. So I call them and I say, Look, come. So what's the problem? You know, David says, so Phoebe says, says our own. And I say, Okay, so now let's just end it. So you should just say sorry to each other. And then there's silence. I said, so who's going to say sorry first? I said, he should say sorry first. She should say first. Then, you know, I, what I used to get, I said, the bigger person will say sorry first. And then I said, who's the bigger person? You told them, I said, I'm the bigger person. <laughs> I said, I got you. <laughs> Did you see? Because really, it is the bigger person that says sorry first. A man said to his son, he said, you're not ready to marry. The boy said, dad, I'm ready to marry. He said, I'm not ready to marry. The boy said, yes, I'm ready to marry. He said, okay, I'll put you through a test. Say, I'm sorry. The boy said, for what? Say, just say, I'm sorry. Say, say for what? Say, I told you, you are not ready to marry. Until you are ready to apologize for what you don't know. You are not ready to marry, sir. <laughs> because when you wake up in the morning and your wife is just looking. Say, good morning, how are you? Very fine. Is everything okay? Ah, everything is okay. Are you sure? Oh, yes, I'm sure. Are you really sure? I, I say I'm sure. <laughs> Your next response should not be, are you okay? You just say, I'm sorry. <laughs> when you say for what? I'm just sorry. You say, I'm sorry yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> price of peace, let it be something you are always willing to afford. You know, as you walk with the Lord, you are going to come to points where you realize that disagreement is unaffordable in marriage. I'll say it again. You know, 
and that you must learn to resolve your differences quickly. It's unaffordable. Every time you, you linger in disagreement as a couple, you are giving the devil room. It's not about what he has done with that room now. It's what he's going to do with it. I told you, the devil doesn't always take advantage of what he has. Sometimes the devil stores advantage to use it at an opportune time. So don't be giving it to him. Don't be giving it to him. In marriage, in friendships, be a doer of the word. Be a doer of the word. Practice love. Walk in love. We said that in the first service. Strengthen your walk in love. Your love walk. Strengthen it. We are commanded to be imitators of God as dear children. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 verse 2 says to walk in love even as Christ loved us, gave himself for us. He used it as a sacrifice pleasing. A sweet smelling savour unto God. So we must walk in love the way Christ walked in love. And that is that to forgive people in advance. And forgive people quickly. And then forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. You say, how can I forget when I forgive people? The way to forget is, first of all, stop talking about it. Because if you keep talking about the wrong that was done to you, you will keep deepening the wounds. So stop talking about it. That urge to tell another person about what they did, kill that urge. Don't talk about it again. Oh, if you know what they did to me, stop saying it. I practiced that many years now. Because I realize it practically. The more you speak of the hurt people do to you, the more hurt you become. You see, because our words give life to things. Our words give life to things. Say, so if I don't talk about it, what should I do? Thank God for the forgiveness you have received. So whenever you remember what they did to you, you think of what Christ did for you and say, Lord, I thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you. You know, when I can tell whether a person is ready to be free from a pain, is when they are ready to stop talking about the pain. That's when you are ready to be free. Stop talking about it. Everybody needs to know. Oh, if you know what she said. If you know what he said. Oh, if you know what she did. If you know what he said. And the more you keep talking about it, the angrier you become. And when you get angry at that, you are giving a foothold to Satan. To step into your life. Step into your life. Many terminal sicknesses have been traced to bitterness. Medically, not this is not uh, theological, whatever. This is medically proven. Many terminal illnesses have been traced to bitterness. People are bitter, angry. You see, to be angry is not a sin. But when you get into wrath, brother, you are stepping out of your boundaries. Wrath in Galatians 5 is listed as one of the manifestations of the flesh. Carnality. You get into rage. Nobody can talk to me. I cannot hear what you are saying. You don't know how it feels. I will show them. It's going to be a showdown. <laughs> ah, I'm not on your own. That's how they do our money. They've finished spending everything while they are angry. Ah, that is not becoming from a believer. That as a Christian, there's nobody that can appease you. Paul said one of the signs of, of the last days. Did you see perilous times? Is people become implacable. That is when they are offended, nobody can appease them. That's a dangerous thing for a believer to get involved in. There should be people who can tell you, calm down, no matter what fire is burning on your head, they will bring it down. And say, sit down first, put that fire aside. Hear what we are telling you. That's why those of you who are single before you marry a person, there must be at least one or two persons that you can identify in his life or her life that can tell him to sit down. And he will sit down. Before even hearing any explanation, that can tell her and say, sit down there. Stop talking, whatever you are saying. That when she's shouting and she's crying, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to say, keep quiet. Okay, sit down, sit down. Stop talking there. Yes. Yes, daddy. 
the firm. There must be people like that in your life. At least two. I can talk to you like that. If there are no such persons in the person's life, Oga, you have entered one chance. You have entered one chance. There should be people that will tell you, sit down there. Say that you don't know. I say, sit down first. Drink water. By the time you finish drinking, what else? Do you want ice cream? <laughs> I said, do you want ice cream? Oh, oh, oh. We manage it. <laughs> you know, there are many ways the father can calm you down. Take ice cream, my friend. Because <laughs> your inside is hot. Let the ice cream cool it. I thought you finished taking the ice cream. Do you, you watch cartoon? I <laughs> <laughs> watch Tom and Jerry and yes. Tom and Jerry and be praying in tongues. I will, I, will, I will attend to you in 15 minutes. <laughs> oh my God. I thought you gone through that routine. I said, so what that happened? Ah, you said that. In fact, uh, hey. Is there more ice cream? <laughs> oh, goodness. You see, because you need to understand, you know, many years ago, I heard the story. My uncle said, you know, a woman, you know, had this issue. She was so, you know, so angry with her husband. She could not control herself. So she came to him and said, sir, I need deliverance. I need prayer. I said, no problem. I'll give you this water. Anytime you are angry like that, just drink a little sip of it and sit down. Don't, just hold the water in your mouth. Don't swallow it for like 15 minutes. The power of God will walk through your body. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so she began to practice it. After about six months, she came out and said, Sir, that water has finished, but my marriage has been so beautiful. I need more water. And I said, It's not the water. There's no power inside the water. Have you not noticed that when you put the water in your mouth and you swallow for after 15 minutes like this, your temper has calmed down. Then you talk normally. Say, hey. Say, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your neighbor, say, you need some of this water. <laughs> Did you see? So, I was talking to you about know when the effort is crossing into anxiety. And I've already explained that to you. When it gets to the point of exhaustion. There's something my, one of my friends and I have practiced for many, many years. We were friends before we got married. You know, we, you know, family friends with our spouses and our kids. And then, you know, there's something we always say to ourselves. Whenever we're trying to do something and it gets to a point where it looks like all the effort we're putting in is not generating anything, we step back instantly. And the reason is because, you see, you've got to settle in your mind. God did not make you to struggle. Sometimes I think a lot of believers forget that. You were not, there is a difference between hard work and struggle. When you are working hard, there is this confidence of results inside you. Even when things don't seem to have taken shape yet, but you still know that, look, we are working on this thing, it's going to work. But when you get to the point of exhaustion, when as you are exerting yourself, it's as if there is no connection with results or possibility of results. Something is, something is going wrong. You're trying everything you know to do and the result is just Error, 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 error. Doors shutting everywhere. Step back. And then stand in your place in the spirit and check. What's going on? What's going on? Sometimes you need to evaluate mentally. 
Like I told you earlier, is there a wrong approach here? Is there wrong timing? That wrong timing is a thing of the spirit. Wrong approach, the Holy Ghost will show you too. But you can also use your mind, use your head to think about that. This is what I'm saying now. And then wrong association. Check those three. Because if either of those three goes wrong, things will go wrong. But when all those three things align, your result is inevitable. However, the moment you find yourself crossing the line and getting into anxiety, pull yourself back and repent. Anxiety is a sin. It's a sin to be anxious. Because it's a casting all your cares, First Peter 5, 7, upon him, because he cares for you. So for you to take it, is that you are saying to God, you are not capable. You are insulting God when you get anxious. So whenever you catch yourself being anxious, repent instantly and say, Lord, I repent from this anxiety in the name of Jesus Christ. And I put my cares back on your hands. And when you cast your cares upon him, leave it there. Don't touch it again in thought life. Now you'll be tempted to be anxious again. But the moment those thoughts of anxiety rise up in your spirit, open your mouth and acknowledge what you've already done. Which is to cast your care and say, I already cast this care upon the Lord. I'm not going to touch it again in thought life. Thank you, Father, for taking my cares. If you have to do it ten times in one minute, do it. Eventually, those thoughts of anxiety will die because anxiety comes through thoughts. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6. Which of you by taking thoughts? Starting from 25. Do you see? Which of you by taking thoughts? Therefore, take ye no thoughts. What shall we eat? What shall we wear? Not for raiment. Anxiety comes through thoughts. So what do you do with those thoughts of anxiety? Cast down the imagination by opening your mouth. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've cast my care upon God. He takes care of me. He loves me. Thank you, Father. Because I know you have this covered in the name of Jesus. Five minutes later, the thought rises again. Don't let it bother you. Say the same thing again. I already cast this thought on God. One hour later, it comes again. I already cast this thought on God. And I thank you, Father, because I know you have it. And if you have it, I don't have it. Thank you, Jesus. In the middle of the night, it creeps up on your bed and knocks on your ear. And then you wake up in the middle of the night, the thought rises up again. And you say, thank you, Lord, because... I already cast this care upon you. Turn to the other side of the bed and continue your sleep. If as you are sleeping two hours later, he comes to face you on that side again and say, I already cast this thought on God. Thank you, Father. Turn around again. If you have to turn like that till daybreak, keep doing it. One thing is certain. When you resist the devil, he will flee. You resist until the point where the thoughts die. That's the way to deal with those kind of things. You keep dealing with it until it begins to get weaker and weaker and weaker and then it vanishes. And what Paul says will happen to you? The peace of God. That passes all understanding will keep garrison, mount guard upon your heart and your mind. And that peace is in Christ Jesus. And I tell you, when the peace of God mounts guard over you, there is no devil that can penetrate it. No devil can break the ranks of it. It keeps you safe. For thou will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusted in thee. Isaiah 26.3. He will keep him. He's not, see that perfect peace. In the Hebrew is shalom shalom. It's double peace. It's the peace of prosperity. Shalom shalom. I will keep him in shalom shalom. Shalom shalom. It's perfect. It's whole. In other words, it's a double security. No devil can penetrate through it. It cannot. And that's why you are the one that must allow it. You must allow that peace of God. Somebody say, I allow the peace of God in my life. Say like when you say, I allow the peace of God. 
Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So I told you earlier, anxiety ends in despair and frustration. But true effort yields results. True efforts yield results. Now, I want to say this to you about living the life of faith. Uh, this morning, I'm going to close it. Living the life of faith and being led by the Spirit of God. And those two things are very important. Never try to separate. Don't even make the mistake to separate the leading of the Spirit from faith. Because the Holy Ghost leads us into the will of God and faith begins only when the will of God is known. So don't, don't ever separate faith from the leading of the Spirit. Sometimes the reason why some people said they released faith for something and they didn't get it is because the Holy Ghost didn't lead them in that thing. Sometimes because even though it is God's will, it's not the time. If the Holy Ghost did not signal the timing for it and you try to release your faith to get it, you will not get it. Faith will never violate divine leading. I'll say it again. Faith will never violate divine leading. Faith will never violate divine leading. Faith will never violate divine leading. You know, as we close to this service, I'm going to pray on handkerchiefs and aprons. If you have anyone who needs healing, a loved one, a relative, I'm going to pray on it. You take it to them and put it on them. They will be healed. They shall be healed. Amen. Hallelujah. Did you see? So, you got to understand that faith will never violate divine leading. If the Holy Ghost is leading in a different direction from where your faith is facing, your faith will fail. Alright? I'll say it again. If the Holy Ghost is leading in a direction different from where you are channeling your faith, your faith is going to fail in that situation. Because there is no counsel against the Lord. There isn't. You cannot superimpose against God's will with God's things. You cannot superimpose against God's will with the things of God. So faith is of God. So you can't use faith to superimpose against the will of God. You cannot. Because the faith we have is the faith of God in us. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. Paul calls it the faith of Christ. The faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 20, the same thing. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Did you see that? He's the one who gave us faith. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Did you see that? Not of works. It's the gift of God. That faith, God gave us as a gift. In Romans 12, verse 3, Paul says, according to the grace given to me, I say to everyone that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think soberly even as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So you understand, God is the one who deals it out to us. The faith we have is the faith of God. Hebrews 12, 2, looking out of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the hour there is italicized, meaning it's not in the originals. Because what he really said in the originals is, who is the author and finisher of faith? He is the author of faith, he is the finisher of faith. That's why faith came to us through his word, the word about Christ. Romans 10, 17, so then faith coming by hearing, and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ, as it is in the originals. And what word about Christ? The word about his death, his burial, and his resurrection in Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul makes that clear. He said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first to the, and then to the Greek. He said for in that gospel, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. 
So when the gospel is preached, it communicates and imparts faith into the heart of a man. So it is the faith of God. Therefore, it cannot be used to override God's will. It's not possible. So never make the mistake of separating faith from the leading of the Holy Ghost. So once the Holy Ghost faces a direction, let your faith follow through with the same direction. So you cannot release faith for something for which the Holy Ghost is saying it's not time. When you do that, you've crossed the line. you cross the line. Of course, you know by all the teachings we've done, but I'm going to remind you, if you are a believer in Christ, you already have faith. So you're not supposed to begin to think of, how am I going to get faith? Do I really have faith? Well, if you're born again, you already have faith. For a person in Christ to say, I'll begin to doubt whether or not they have faith, is for them to also be doubting whether they are saved. Because you couldn't be saved without the faith of God. So when you receive Christ Jesus, the faith of the Lord God has been imparted into you. It is one of those things that Paul describes as all these new things I have got in 2 Corinthians 5.18. When he says in verse 17, Wherefore if any man be in Christ a new creature, all things pass away, behold, all things have become new. 18 says all things are of God. I told you, the literal says all these new things are of God. Do you see that now? One of those things that are of God is the faith that you have. God gave you his faith. He gave you his righteousness. He made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Verse 21, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. So you notice the faith is of God, the righteousness is of God. You know he said that back in Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon fashioned against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you, not God, you shall condemn. Did you see? He said, for this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. He said, for their righteousness is of me, saith God. So the righteousness we have is of God. The faith we have is of God. The love we have is of God. Romans 5, 5, hope makes not a shame. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. That has been given unto us. So the love is of God. The faith is of God. The righteousness is of God. The holiness is of God. Ephesians 4, 24. Did you see that? Now, you know, if you read from verse 20, we've not so learned Christ, so be that you heard him and be taught by him that you put up the old man, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. It is the holiness of God. So all the new things in the new creation are of God. That's why he says there is no boast of man there. Where is boasting then? Romans 3, 27 is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. In other words, whatever happened by faith, man cannot boast that he did it. Anything that is of faith, man cannot boast of it. He cannot boast of it. It's the doing of God. It's the doing of God. And therefore, you can't use those things that are of God to violate the will of God. They will always fall in line with God's will. Fall in line with God's plan. It is how he wants it, when he wants it. Through whom he wants it. That's the way your faith will work. And therefore, you've got to strengthen your sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Ghost. Strengthen as we approach a new year. Strength. That's what, see, that's your spiritual goals are the most important. And that, that's the thing I'm stressing. I stress that's the first service, and I'm continuing in the second service. Your spiritual goals, they're the most important. Strengthen your sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Ghost. One of the ways to do that is to cut down the things that distract your spirit. Too much entertainment. Too much entertainment. Be careful. 
There are things that dull your spirit, man. They dull your spirit, man. You know how Paul wrote to the, to the Hebrews? In Hebrews 5.12, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and have need of milk rather than strong meat. So in other words, if, I, if you read the previous verse, it says, we have so many things to say of him. Seeing that ye are dull of hearing, it's possible to be dull spiritually. Many Christians are dull. Don't be one of them. And no believer suddenly becomes dull. People become dull in the things of God by the actions they take. By the things they say. There are things that you say that will make you duller. Dense from hearing the things of the spirit. Don't be that kind of person that God is doing a lot around you, but you can't even sense it. No inclination. No inclination. And it's usually as a result of your choices. The devil will keep throwing those things at you. Don't bite the bait. I've told you number one is distractions. Distractions of too much attention to the flesh. You are not a flesh. So your commitment should not be to the flesh. John 6, 63. He says, it is the spirit that quickened the flesh profited nothing. The words that I say unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So therefore, if it is the spirit that quickeneth, if I want translation, says the flesh confers no benefit. The flesh confers no benefit. If the flesh confers no benefit, be careful how much commitment you are giving to it. There's nothing wrong with getting you know, some entertainment, but the moment you are giving too much attention to it as if it is your major goal in life, there's going to be an effect on your spirit, man. And that effect is dullness. 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 I understand the fact that sometimes as believers, we want to pray and read the Bible while we are maybe watching a message, listening to music. That is fine. But beloved, that cannot be yet your core devotion time with God. Quiet time really means quiet time. No side music. No side ministration. Your voice, not the, not the stereo. Your voice, not your phone. You cannot be claiming to worship God through the voice of Pastor Larry that is playing from your phone on YouTube. It's like saying, God, that's your worship. I play for you. You are not worshiping God, brother. You are not worshiping God. God wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your own voice. There is a place for that where you can be playing a song and you're singing along. There's a place where you can be praying and be playing a message in the background. There's a place for that. But that is not your core quiet time. Your core quiet time is your voice only. My voice you will hear in the morning, the psalmist said. So, Jesus, I thank you today. Oh, I give you praise. Thank you, Lord. And you raise a song to him. No matter how bad your voice is, God loves it like that. That time where you are praying and it is your words, God is hearing. Not that you are using something to embellish it. You know, because sometimes we abuse technology. And the contrivances that we have in our generation. And we are trying to do with gadgets what should be done from our spirit. God wants to hear your own voice. Your own, not the tape. Not the, the, the YouTube channel. Your own voice. Times when you are just alone, only you. That's why there's a difference between corporate prayer and individual prayer. We see the examples in scripture. 
In Acts 12, they all gathered together in the house of John Mark's mother when Peter had been in prison. In verse 5, the Bible says prayer was made unto God for him without ceasing by the church. That's a congregational prayer. Acts 4.23, congregational prayer. They went to their own company. Congregational prayer. But we also saw people praying alone. In Acts 10, Cornelius was praying alone. In Acts 9, Paul was praying alone. When Ananias walked into the house where he was, there is congregational prayer as much as there is individual prayer. Don't mix it up. And I tell you, the major power base for your Christian life is your personal prayer time. All this Anthony anointing is not going to take you far in Christianity. You can't build your Christian life on corporate prayer alone. You need corporate prayer, but you must have personal prayer, most importantly, or more importantly. So service your personal prayer time. Service it more. Service it more. Like I said to those in the first service, you've got to make up your mind in 2023. Be more consistent with your prayer life. Don't judge yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. But be merciful with yourself. However, don't over pamper yourself. Don't even pamper yourself. Be truthful and merciful to yourself. I am not doing as much as I should do. That is not the end of it all. I'm going to do better in the new year. So you start somewhere. If your goal is to pray two hours daily regularly, then you cannot be starting out from January 1 with two hours prayer. That's the way not to do it. The way to do it is, if you are targeting two hours prayer, consistent prayer life in 2022, in January, start with 30 minutes. If you like, 15 minutes. And then build up. The things of the spirit build up. You are not trying to impress God with your prayer time. Like people want to impress God with fasting. When last did God eat? God, when I fast, you will know somebody is fasting. Somebody that doesn't eat, you want to impress him with fasting. You're not trying to impress God. You're not trying to impress me as the pastor. That's the reason why I personally don't like to talk too much about how many hours we prayed. Because sometimes it can become works and legalism and pride. I prayed so so number of hours before I came for this service. You will take the service. You will collect. So we don't even know where to put our faith. Whether it's in God now or in your fasting. And Jesus warned about those things in the book of Matthew. Did you see that? Chapter 6. He said, when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees that go out to the corner of the street and announce it to everybody and they put ashes on their head so that everybody will know they are fasting. You know, somewhere when they fast, it's all like this. When it comes for service, you can tell it's fasting. When they say, suddenly, I say, oh. <laughs> say, glory, I say, glow. It's glow, he's saying, not glory. <laughs> Are <laughs> you seeing what I'm saying? Huh? Yeah. So it's not for this because sometimes if you're not careful, you are doing all those things so that people can see you. So that you can use it to talk. So for the past uh, 18 weeks, I don't miss it. It's two hours. And your ears are starting to shh. Because God is about to say shh to you. <laughs> I used to hear you disappeared. <laughs> Tell them, say, me, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Now? So, cut down distractions. You know, most times where we are going is not too far. It's our distractions that are too many. It doesn't take so long to hit your target. It is the things that you have allowed to distract you that is making it look like it's so, it's so long. It doesn't take so long. If your focus is sharp, have I preached about focus this year? 
I'm amazed. Probably should in the new year. Are you hear what I'm saying? Focus. <laughs> Look straight on. God told Joshua severally. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Look straight on. If you are focused, I tell you, many great things will happen in your life quickly. If you can't be focused. Fight for your focus in the new year. I discovered that as the years are going and there are new technological, you know, technology uh, discoveries and advancements, so also they come with distractions. So many, many, many distractions. Distractions that are hazardous us to health. Distractions hazardous us to destiny. And I tell you, till the day we all see Jesus Christ, there will be many things fighting for your focus and attention. Some of you don't realize when you open Instagram, it is simply a myriad of things and platforms fighting for your attention. When you turn on your TV, stations fighting for your attention. You turn on the radio, all of them contending for your attention. Everywhere you go, the most expensive commodity among human beings is attention. That's what everybody's trying to get. That's what everybody's trying to get, especially in these days of technology. That's why most of the things they do online is based on views, traction, trending. What makes it trend? People's attention. Fuel it to make it trend. He said, oh, he posted the video within one hour. 65 million views. It's not animals that have the account. It's human beings. And sometimes it is 65 million views from people whose own purpose they've abandoned to watch that guy's post. You know, many 10 years ago, the Lord said to me as I was still an undergraduate, sometimes I'm just walking, and I, most of those times when I'm walking on the street, I'm meditating. The Lord said to me one day, as I was moving around playing cinema, you know, something happened and people were watching. Everybody got out there. And the Lord said to me, don't join them. And he said this in Yoruba to me. Anything That is the person that the people have gathered to watch. He cannot afford to be the one that is also watching what is going on. Because when you are the one leading the orchestra, you must turn your back against the crowd. There's no time to be checking. Like a driver. Who is driving? And then something's happened by the roadside. And he said, let me quickly check. You know, the distraction of five seconds on a steering wheel can cost you your life. You are a driver in your destiny. Distractions are unaffordable. I'll say that again. You are a driver in your destiny, therefore distractions are what? They are unaffordable. And sometimes I tell you there are distractions that we face in life that we need to pray against them. I've told you the story many years ago, growing up as a young man, you know, before I got into the university, and I had this neighbor, you know, who used to just distract him. He would come trying to influence me and, and all that. And I knew this guy is not a good influence on my life. And the Lord said to me, pray about it. So I prayed. I said, Lord, let this guy never come to me again. I tell you, I finished prayer, that prayer that day. I sat in my father's sitting room, and I was looking through the window. The guy was beginning to walk into our compound from the gate. And whatever happened to him till tomorrow, I still don't know. Right before my eyes, he turned back. Just before he got midway into the compound. Turned back and walked away. That's the last time I saw him. This is almost 25 years ago. I've never seen him again. 
Because I knew if I should remain friends with this guy, my destiny will sink. Yeah. So I prayed. I said, God, you have to take this guy away. One way or another. Separate me from this person. Some of you need to pray like that. There are some people in your life that you know every time they come into your life like this, they, they weaken your spiritual life. They dull your senses spiritually. You need to cry out to God and say, God, you need to help me. Please separate this man from me. I don't want this person again. Don't, let him get angry with me. Let him just not like me again. Let him see my phone number like this and be easy. Let him forget my address. When the Lord told me, one guy came into our church when we were in the academy as we was walking, the Lord said to me, that guy is not of me. He's not a sheep. He's a robber. And the Lord said to me, in this service today, you are going to give a call. When it's time, I'll let you know to impart people. So when you give that call, he's going to answer. Lay hands on the rest, but slap him on the chest. He will never come back again. And that's exactly what happened. He did, I did, God did. And that's the last day we saw him. So you slap him on the chest, he will never come back again. I went short to it. And I did what I, what I was supposed to do. He did what he was supposed to do. He came out. And God did what he was supposed to do. God kept him away. I've given you two examples of it now. It can work. It will work for you too. If your heart really desires to be free from those wrong influences, call on God. You will never see them again, I'm telling you. They will miss you. When I say, it's not, not romantic, I miss you. I mean, they will miss you. They will never be able to locate you again. And I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice online on ground. If there are such associations that are corrupting your destiny and God's plans for you, distracting you and dulling your spiritual senses, I declare today, let them be separated from you. Let there be a separation by the power of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus Christ. Shout out amen one more time. Glory to God. <laughs> but I'll give you this one more as we close. Your faith. Your faith. Stir up your faith too. Stir it up. You don't need more faith. You already have all the faith you will ever need. It is you that must now grow in that faith. That's the way it works. Abraham, the Bible tells us in Romans 4, was strong in faith and he also tells us he was not weak in faith. So it means those two things are possibilities. You can be weak in faith and you can be strong in faith. But Father Abraham chose the right one. He was strong in faith. Do you see that? And he says he considered not. So whether you grow strong or weak in faith is based on what you are considering. It's based on what you are considering. It's like another promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God. Not being weak in faith. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Now dead. Was his body now dead? Yes. Did he consider it? No. To consider is to look on. To make the focus of your attention. Faith doesn't deny what is there. But faith denies it the right to rule you. Because what you look on to will dominate you. You keep talking about it. Imagine if Abraham kept saying, my body is dead, I'm an old man. When he says his body being dead, it means he was impotent. That's the meaning. Help you in plain language. He was a double jeopardy. He was physically impotent, medically impotent. His wife had gone past menopause. So it means both of them were sterile. So the chances of having a child was complete zero, non-existent. The Bible says, but against hope, he believed in hope. Why? God spoke. When God speaks, all the experiences you want from God are encapsulated in what he said. If you lose that word, you lost the experience. So he held on to the word of God. 
His body being dead notwithstanding and the deadness of Sarah's womb notwithstanding. God is faithful to do what he said he will do. And that's why in Hebrews 11, 11, he speaks of Sarah herself. By faith, she received strength to conceive even when she was past age. Because she judged him faithful. In general, I'm going to be preaching a sermon, a series titled Fully Persuaded. Normally, every year, we do prayer on Sundays. But this year, we're doing prayer series on Wednesdays. That's the order the Lord gave me. And on Sundays, in January, by the grace of God, fully persuaded. And we're teaching from Romans 4, Father Abraham. There is a way to get fully persuaded. You must get fully persuaded of what God has said. And one of the ways is, don't consider what is working against you. Don't consider it. Don't consider it. I was telling the last yesterday, we didn't apply for our visas early. And recently, the, the, the process time is taking longer than usual. Minimum seven to eight weeks. The day we submitted visa, seven to eight weeks from that day is going to be December 31. UK mansion is December 17 and 18. But where we went and submitted, notwithstanding, and all that. And we kept on believing. And sometimes we just pause. I just say, in the name of Jesus Christ, our visas come out right on time. Glory to God. It didn't look like it. I won't lie to you. But you see, whenever you are in faith, you must keep doing something in line with your faith. Make sure you find something that you do or say, particularly do, in line with your faith. So I'll just wake up sometimes and I'll just check my, sometimes in a day, more than seven times. And that's being conservative. I'll just check my email, whether they've sent email to say that the passports are ready. And then we'll confess, our passports come out with the visas on it. Right on time for UK immersion. Glory to God. If I remember the day we went for the application biometrics, the guy who was there looked at me and I asked him, I said, how long will this take? He said, minimum eight weeks. <laughs> but when I was going, he handed me two SIMs, UK numbers. I knew most likely they do it as courtesy, but I took it by faith. And I told mom, I said, they've given us the numbers we'll use when we travel for UK immersion. And I put it in my purse. After that, we, we check, checked UK, whatever, Nigeria online. Instagram. And I saw that the UK ambassador to Nigeria did a post to tell everybody, if you want to go to UK this Christmas, apply LEO because the minimum time, two, eight weeks. This eight weeks is going to be December 31. And all the while, the brethren in the UK planning, they say that, this and this. I said, go on. Uh, they say we should pay for the venue. Pay. We are coming. Uh, your accommodation, get it. We are coming. Get it. We are coming. You know, as we arrived in Abekuta on Wednesday for Pastor Dale's wedding, I wanted to check my email to download some books that I wanted to read. As I opened the mail like this, and I saw all the mails, your passports are ready for collection. And you know, when, when I checked the dates, it took exactly 14 working days. Less than three weeks. Like that. Because faith will walk in your heart even when there is doubt in your head. Because the devil was already suggesting like he normally does. He said, maybe you should shift it to January. Because by the time the passport comes out, it will be too late for the program. But you see, how you will not give in to that voice is don't say it. Mom will tell you, I never for once gave that suggestion that maybe we should say, never. No. Kept my confession. We are going. We are coming. Hallelujah. We'll be there. So that, uh, they said we should be, go ahead, pay. We'll be there. Say that uh, this is the list of those who have read. I said, Glory to God. Hallelujah. 
tell the other people, let them do their registration as well. We are coming there. Glory to God. We will be there. And then I will check, check, check. Every time I checked and the thing was not there, of course, the devil will say, he's not going to come out. But in my heart, I say, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Two days before he came out, there was a knowing in my spirit. I know that knowing. And that knowing was driving me to say, check it. It's going to be there anytime from now. I tell you, I won't lie to you as much as I'm a man of faith. When that email showed up, mom will tell you, I almost, it remains more for me to say, I can't believe this. <laughs> I was shocked. I'm telling you. I was in awe. Like, hey, listen this out. Even when I went to collect, collect the power, when I held all the power, I said, ah, oh my nike. I be mean eh? <laughs> Because the word works. Faith works all the time. I know the Lord reminded me during the week a message I preached in Wari last year. And in that message, I was telling them, for whatever reason, God just showed me that video. I just took me to on Facebook and I just stumbled on it. Well, I was telling them, I said, you know, some of you, you have deadlines and you're allowing the pressure of deadlines to affect you. Say, God can move deadlines for you. And that's what God did. He removed the deadline. He said, you, this one, you will get it so that you can be at the meeting. Because faith works. It depends on what you are considering. If you consider the wrong things, you will keep growing weaker and weaker in faith. And the weaker you get in faith, the closer you are to unbelief. There will always be things to consider to weaken your faith. It is you that must choose not to consider them. It is you that must choose that these things, I'm not going to consider them. Abraham had the deadness of Sarah's womb, had the deadness of his own body. But the Bible says he chose not to consider them. So the fact that you have those negative things to consider should not make you feel you failed already or that your chances are slim. Because sometimes many of us don't understand that. And that's why our faith doesn't work or we don't use our faith. Because, because the odds are stacked up against you. Then you begin to feel like, well, there's no need to even try. Who told you the odds were not stacked against Abraham? That's why I share that testimony with you too now. Because I would think when you say you are living life of faith, it means that you are just flowing through life on a flowery bird of ease. That's not true. The faith life will meet with challenges but will always overcome. If you don't faint, your faith will not fail. I said again, if you don't faint, which is to give up, your faith will not fail. Your faith will always deliver the results if you don't give up. So you shouldn't give up. I said to people, when I minister to people who are trusting God for healing in their body from serious sicknesses, and I said to them, what I need from you is a commitment. Don't say the wrong things. Don't give up. If you don't give up, don't worry. You're going to come out of this. You will definitely come out of it. And every time we try that out and done that, people always come out. 100% of the time. 100% of the time. The pain will be in your body. But don't consider the pain. Don't make it your focus. Your body may ache, but let your confession remain the same. God is my healer. Jesus is my healer. He's healing me now. Oh, thank you, Lord. Even if you are saying it with pain in your body, keep on saying it. You've checked your bank account many times and the money is not yet there. Give thanks each time you checked it. So, Lord, I thank you because you are my provider. But you know what keeps you strong in faith? is first of all that foundation of knowledge of God's will. Because that's what you're holding on to. In spite of what is facing you to discourage you. So if you're not considering the odds stacked against you, what will you consider? The will of God. 
Cast not away your confidence without a great recompense of reward. Hebrews 10, 35, 36 says, For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, that you might inherit or obtain the promises. So it means when I know it is God's will, that's what makes me stand stubbornly in faith. So that when the odds are staring me in the face, I keep saying, I know what God said. God wants me to have it. I will get it. I will get it. No matter how the odds, the odds may be screaming at you like this. They say, it's not going to happen. You will be put to shame. No. They looked unto him and their faces were lighted and they were not put to shame. There will be never be shame for a man of faith. For a woman of faith, it is not possible. Even if it looks like the shame is looming, you keep looking at Jesus. He will turn the tides in your favor. Some of you, there are things that will happen to you before the end of the year that will turn the tides in your favor. He's looking as if he's, he's, he's already eluding you, but the devil is a liar because it's still coming to happen to you. God will give you that miracle, give you that breakthrough. God is going to turn things around for you. That transformation is going to happen. That, your, that healing is going to happen in your body. God is going to bring that restoration in the name of Jesus. I close with this statement I made in the first service for the benefit of those of you who are not there. Hear me. There is no sense of permanent loss in Christ. None. If there's anything that you missed, be sure of one thing. It is not in your past. God has shifted it to your future. Between now and when you get into that future where God has shifted it to, God wants to work on you to prepare you so that when next that thing shows up, you are not, you are not going to be disadvantaged. Rather, you'll be in a better position to take it. But one thing is certain, it is not in your past. If you missed it, it is not in your past. God has shifted it to your future. It is the devil that wants to make you think that it is in your past so that you can lose hope. But in Christ, there are no permanent losses. It's not possible. We may suffer a sense of loss temporarily, but it can never be a permanent loss. Never. Because not out of the ashes of the dying today, God brings a brand new day. A brand new day. A brand new day burgeons. It's coming on the horizon, says the Spirit of the Lord. A brand new day. It's on the horizon. It's on the horizon. It's on the horizon. And you've got to be like the patriarchs of faith in Hebrews 11. They saw it afar off and they saluted it from afar. Some of you need to give a salute this morning. And that salute is your worship. That salute is your praise. That salute is your thank you, Jesus. That salute is God, I know you are in charge. That salute is God, you are faithful. That salute is God, I can trust you. You've got to give that salute this morning. Give that salute this morning. Greet it from afar. Greet it from afar. Salute it from afar. It's afar out, but it is yours. It's afar out, but it's your own. It's yours. It is yours. It is yours. And let me tell you this morning, the lie of the devil sometimes is Satan wants you to believe that just because something is afar off, then it may never come. Oh no. That's why in Hebrews 10 he says, It may tarry, but wait for it. He said, Yet a little while, and he that will come will come. Ah, it's coming. Oh. It's coming. Oh. 
That long-awaited change is coming. It's 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 coming. Like in Hebrews 11, when it says they, they saluted it, what it means is they, they kissed it from afar. They embraced it. That look, this thing is our own. And what were they embracing? They were embracing Christ. How did they embrace? Jesus tells us in John 8 when he speaks of Father Abraham. And Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. John 5, brother. He saw it and he was glad. He was glad. He was glad. That means when Abraham saw the day of the Lord Jesus, he said, Wow. He, he didn't say congratulations to Jesus because that would mean I'm not a partaker of it. He's not congratulations. He's, he's saying, This is my salvation. That's why he rejoiced. You rejoice because it's your own. Is anybody here willing to rejoice? 856. God bless you. Do you want to salute him from afar? Salute that future, that breakthrough, that baby, that marriage, that healing, that transformation. Salute it from afar with your rejoicing. I rejoice, glory. I rejoice, glory. I rejoice, glory. I rejoice, glory. Online on ground, rejoice in him. First Peter 1 8 he said whom having not seen ye love in whom though now ye see him not yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory that's what they all did and that's what we must all do and characterize our lives anything that is yet to happen you must see from afar and salute it with your rejoicing when you do that, you rubber stamp on it. It's my own. It's like you're telling the delivery man in the spirit. My address is on it too. I am interested in it. I'm waiting for it. Bring it to me. I take it. I take part. I partake. I take my part. Glory to God. Woo! Were you blessed this morning, somebody? I want to encourage you to listen to this message again and again. Just listen to it. Let it stir up your spirit. Stir up your spirit. It's a message to keep even in the new year. Greater things are going to happen to us in 2023. Glory to God. Faithful, faithful is our God. Hallelujah. Glory. Go ahead. Faithful, yes, he is. Faithful, faithful is our God. Faithful. Oh, yes, I, yes, I rejoice. 
by God's Heritage of Faith Church. Our vision is raising stronger believers. For more information about our church and how to download our messages, visit our website at www.hofng.org. God bless you.